Okie dokie, here we are with another Who's Your Mob, and I'm here talking with Ted Fields Jr. up in Tamworth. I was up there for the Country Music Festival. Also got to do a podcast with Warren H. Williams as well, so I guess that'll be up at the same time of posting them together. Yeah, it was especially good to have a chat with Ted about Uralaroy and Camilla Roy language and culture up that way because I guess that's where my grandparents are from. So living down in Sydney, I got to learn a little bit of the language, especially through my great-grandmother and through you know, my grandmother and aunties who would use certain words around the place. So it's nice to be able to get a bit more of an understanding of how to go about learning more of the language and also some stories from up there. So up around Walgett, Lightning Ridge area, apparently there were crocodiles out that way. And we get into that a little bit later in the podcast. So uh, that was a surprise, and there's a bit of a Dreamtime story about that, but uh, yeah, I won't give away too much of what Ted has to say. But yeah, hopefully it is encouraging to some other mobs who are going about the reclamation of language and culture because they've done quite a good job of putting together the dictionary and now they have courses at university on Gamilaroi, Uralaroi language and they're still looking to get it out there a lot more into schools and have more and more people speaking it and bring it back to life and have it be a living language of this country. So, great to have a man like this doing great work for our mob and great to have him on the podcast. So, here he is. All right, so, um, yeah, my name's Ted Trills Jr. Um, born in Walgut. Um, my uh, father's Uralari, Gumbo, um, from the Narran River, um, Bangit, Angledal area. Um, grew up around there. Uh, my mum's born at Walgut. Um, she's Gamilarai Uralii. Um, she was born at Gingy Mission, Walwood, raised there, um, spent all her life there sort of thing. So um, I categorised myself as Uralii Gamilarai, um, Dane, man. Um, yeah, born and raised from the Namai, Barwon at Walwood. Yeah. And what are some of the family names you're connected to, so people oh, listening in? Uh, well, the... Interesting that the field's name is not a, um, there's not, well there's only one group of people out there with that name, that carry that name, but uh, they're related to, you know, so many people um, across that now and across the Bree Warrener, um, well you get Dodds, um, whose uh, grandfather, great-grandfather Arthur Dodd um, has a very large family, um, lots of branches coming from that side of it. Um, uh, your family, Peters, Hall, on my father's side, um, Dad's mother was a Hall. Um, McDonald's, um, Lambs, um, out, of, out on the Narran, Yellowroy people. Um, yeah, lot, lots of yeah, lots of families in town, but as I said earlier, interesting, the, the name Fields mm. is very not, it's just within the small number of people. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I think that 
that happened a lot out on, on the Narran with um, more remote, isolated area back through the, you know, like the early to mid part of the, the um, or the late 19th century, early parts of the 20th century, it was really isolated. Mm. So um, there weren't many European names to call on. So, so, yeah, yeah. So uh, you don't have a, a variety of names as you get in other centres. Yeah. Do you have to go back far to where I guess some black followers were had names in language or like or mission days like kind of wipe that out? Yeah. Um, I mean, while the the, the mission, um, which was you know the uh, Aboriginal Protection Board mission, government um, administered mission, um, that really that that um, put us you know stamped out any language and any any cultural practices or and and even just in terms of um, family, if you didn't live on the mission, um, you weren't a resident in the books, you weren't allowed on the mission, hmm. things like that. So, um, yeah, as, as we know as Aboriginal people, um, the, you know, the um, processes that were in place out there to stamp out our language, our connection to our language, our heritage, or dispersal of people from country, um, it really had a big, it, it's, it's, you know, really had a big impact on us mob down here in New South Wales. and. You know, out in Western New South Wales, um, absolutely. So, the other thing about where we are situated, our mob situated in the western, far west of New South Wales, is that because of the isolation and, and through the war years, and there weren't a lot of white fellas out there to do the work to build the large parcel runs, and they had to rely on good relations with black fellas. Um, at the, the local mob, so um, they were left relatively left alone as long as they'd done the work because they're really big places out there, James. So they couldn't always be close around the house where white people were to control what they said and done. Yeah, right. So in the evenings, obviously, there's language and talk of culture and stories. So that we we were lucky that a lot of our stuff um, were documented out there. But also retain within families mm. um, connections. So uh, you know, I remember going out with your nan years ago with mum and Annie Floss, uh, dad and Annie Floss, reconnecting. See, after many years being away. But uh, we were lucky in that sense. But we we didn't we didn't miss out either on on the um, you know that really aggressive. Um, uh, Colonisation, if you like, some people call it assimilation. Um, processes um, that that were run by governments. Um, so yeah, we didn't miss out on, on that, but but certainly our our, our geographical situation um, and the numbers of white men because of war and gold in Victoria meant that heavy reliance on Aboriginal, large Aboriginal male working populations. Mm. had to be maintained on these big um, pastoral runs. Yeah, right. So that left a fair amount of freedom to continue the practices of their grandparents, you see. Yeah, yeah. Through, that, through some maintenance of language, continuation of language, yes, around fires mm. and story. And 
um, recognition acknowledgement of country. So they'd have camps close by to special places. Mm. Might be sacred sites, burial sites, things like that. Yeah. So we were fortunate in that regard. I, I, I think so anyway. Yeah. But then I guess I hear from my family that most of our mob come from like Angledore Mission, mm. where I guess they're raised you know, to be assimilated by the church and that. Yeah, they weren't allowed to speak their language there. But then at the same time, you were saying like that there were other blackfellas who were you know, living out on country who had no connection to the mission, but were still Uralaroi mob and oh, Uralaroi yeah. mob. Absolutely, there's, um, there would be people, some people still alive today that would, that um, you know, grew up through the 30s, 40s, that, well, the, the mission at Angle closed down, as we know, in, uh, I think it's 30, 36. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, there was what was referred to by the blackfellas living on the mission at Angledo, um as bush blacks. So, yeah, right. Um, and they were uh, um, not so well to do blackfellas, hmm. if you like. So there was, a, there was the beginning of that distinction between two blackfellas from the one family. Yeah, right. See, so the bush blacks were, that from, from what, I, what I've heard, um, from people first-hand experience was that they were looked down upon by the blackfellas on the mission. And that's, of course, by the, the, the mission manager. Mm. You know, they create this, this idea and this um, dynamic around um, social distinction, class distinction between mobs. But yeah, certainly <clears throat> that was my experience growing up in Walgut in the 70s or the 80s um, with the mission and the Namai and the black blackfellas that grew up in town. Mm. So there was a very distinct blackfella. He was a mission blackfella, he was a Namai reserve blackfella, he was a town blackfella, so mm. some very clear distinctions there. And and with young, youngish people, teenagers and that, it, it, you know, there were a lot of derogatory um, stuff, language, um, terms used around that. Yeah, like both ways? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, uh, um, yeah, but definitely with, with, uh, with Dangledore, with our mob, there was a term that was used by the Mission Blackfellas to the, and they call them Bush Blacks. Yeah. But I didn't, I don't recall hearing anything derogatory or anything um, descriptive by the, the fellows that were described as Bush Blacks back at that Mission okay. Blackfellas. Yeah. I didn't hear that. Yeah. I know, wouldn't there, you know, that term, I know, like, you know, town blacks and that kind of thing, like, was that considered a derogatory term that, you know, they, they were, like, uptown or...? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it was, I think it was, um, you know, it was, the, the effect was to, to, to seek offence, not to offend somebody, hmm. um, um, and to, so in Walgut, we, we had the mission followers and the, the, um, fellows from the reserve referred to Blackfellas Uptown as Uptown Blacks. Mm. And then it goes back. So yeah, it was, it, it was never anything nice. No, there's no nice sentiment about it. Mm. Oh, you're not lucky because you live uptown, eh? <laughs> you know, there was, yeah. was something to, to, to cause offence mm. and to show offence that, that I'm offended at um, the way you look at me. Mm. So, I, I mean, 
that would have been a, you know a, a condition that was not here before invasion mm. not here before settlement um, so that came with with the white ones yeah so because our culture very clear about um, social values very very key very distinct um, which wouldn't allow for that kind of behavior um, openly mm. amongst respective people mm. so um, <clears throat> yeah, it's in <clears throat> it is interesting that uh, the I guess with Angledore the thing that was um, a lot of people were relocated forcibly, as you know, to Bree Warren Mission, which is a really large New South, it's, you know, one of the largest um, mission settlements mm. in New South Wales, probably if not Australia, um, for those times, um, where there were a large number of uh, people from out in the, you know, on the South Australian border brought in, um, all over the western part of New South Wales, um, brought in the Bree Warren Mission, right down to the Murray, I believe so. Yeah, right. Um, they were gathered up from far and wide, um, and that caused a lot of problems. But the, the, again, back to the uh, the, the situation at um, Angledool and Bangit and these places, Kaduga, back in uh, the late part of the 19th century, with with um, low numbers of white males out there, workforce. Mm. Um, the 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 blackfellas were that were really good at what they did. And um, they were essentially leaders in, in their clans anyway, they, some of these senior people. Like, um, so they, they held respect for their own younger men um, that were coming in the work crews, big work gangs back then. Um, so they, they relied on, so when they came back from, when people came back from Bree Mission, they were readily put into work back where they were, say. Um, and as I said, they were, they were, a lot of their times were not around Whitefalls. Mm. Um, because you get, a, you get a mile, two miles away from the house, you don't see any Whitefalls. Mm. And these places, are like Bangor back in the day was, you know, like I think it was a quarter million acres. Um, massive place, and so, so were the others, so that, um, you know, it, it just meant that we maintained a lot of our, our language and culture, their connections, mm. um, and and families. After the mission stuff came, after the, you know the the missions closed down through the 70s and into the 80s, through the 90s, people that were forcibly removed from country with a stolen generation, or, or because of other circumstances, were you know left country to live elsewhere. They were aware of the people within their community. Uh, particularly our Silurai mob, um, who um, held close, you know, held on to culture and language and connection to country, which is probably the mo one of the most important parts mm. of what we're talking about. I mean, we can talk about the language, but uh, it takes us back to a place, doesn't it? Yep. Language. So we can talk about our language, but when we, we know it takes us back to the Narran River. Mm. So. Um, that's that was an important part of it. And I, I've, I mean, I've, it was it's good to see that through the through the decades that people came back home, and through my family, my dad, and others out there that um, uh, to reconnect 
that um, they knew that there were people that held on to connection to country, their country. Mm. Um, and some language comes with that because of names of places, properties, um, where people grew up and their grandparents grew up. They grew up with stories of their grandparents living in camps on large stations like Dungalir and buying it in these sorts of places, Mogadol. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's good that, that um, our mob are able to have that because uh, I see, we know a lot of mob that don't have that. Mm. Um, they've lost it all. They're so, it's, it's so long ago that they've had that. It's, it's not an immediate, as you said, the, you know, connection back to traditional people. Now we don't have to go as far, our mob. Mm. Whereas others, say in Blacktown, um, Redfern, any Eora people have to go back 230 years, don't they? Mm. You know what I mean? That's how crazy as that sound. Mm. Whereas our mob, I mean, my dad's grandmother, and I dare say the same for your, your um, grandmother's, um, one of their parents would have been full blood on the Narran River. Mm. Um, and, uh, because, again, because of low numbers of white people out there through the later part of the 19th century, a lot of records weren't as good as we'd like, yeah. you know, so names and things like that. Um, some of that stuff was lost, but um, names of family, you know. Uh, so your dad, Ted Fields Senior, was a particular, he had a very strong knowledge of language and culture. What allowed him to have such a connection to language that you know, I guess a lot of uh, other black followers around his age mightn't have well, had? Now that you mention it, <clears throat> you know, I mean, there's a question that I've thought about and talked about for many years. But now that you now that you mention it here, now sitting here, the one telling thing that allowed my father to to um, have that was a very, very, probably the most traumatic thing a kid could experience is the loss of his mother. Mm. Because had he not lost his mother at the age of five, they would have stayed on Brewer on a mission. Yeah, right. And then who, who knows what would have happened from there? Because we know the rules of Brewer on a mission around language um, and um, cultural practice. So because he lost his mother at that age, and because there was the Bree Warren Mission, um, the family they were living with, they weren't having such a great time there um, because it was not set up for large families, you see, mm. extended families our Blackfellas live. It was set up to compartmentalise families, you know, like they, um, how they set out the housing, the accommodation, housing, things like that. Um, so they had to be relocated back to Angledore. Um, and that was not with the the permission of the um, authorities there. There was word was sent back to his father um, that they, he needed to come and collect his children because there was talk that when the welfare will take his kids and they they'll be gone. So he came. He got a, he borrowed a sulky from a, um, a landholder out there he worked for. Um, he went to Bree Warren Mission and collected his children. Um, and took them back, and they lived with um, Dad's grandmother and grandfather. And they, 
Arnie Floss and these fellas said that the old grandma didn't really know any English. Um, and the old fellow knew a bit of English, but they would converse in language all, that's all they, that was their first language. So. Yeah. Um, and dad was really close to that old woman. Um, and the whole follow, but says Annie's and uh, uncle said that they were really close for a number of years. Um, and the language that he picked up there, the connection to country, and um, knowledge of plants and things like that. Um, whereas Uncle Jim um, didn't pick up as much, especially around the language. He was, you know, he was a couple of years older, so. Um, and so was he still stuck on the, the mission, or he went up to Anglebury? This was this, there was there was a, um, there was a camp set up out after the mission was closed. They demolished it and burnt it to the ground. Yeah. Um, but blackfellas that returned to Anglebury lived outside the compound yeah. of the mission. They built camps yeah, right. outside the compound. Um, so uh, they were there for a time. And did that have connection to? The town, or the government, or the white fellows in any way? No, no, no. This, this was, uh, this was set up. Nobody else wanted to live there. It wasn't, it wasn't wanted by anyone. That piece of land. Um, so the, the mob that went back to Angleton, there must have been some black fellows, which were referred to as the bush blacks, that built camps after the demolition of the mission. Yeah. After all the mission, um, people would transport to Brewarra. There must have been some blackfellas that set up camp just outside the mission compound area, because I guess the the mission compound would have been still seen as government yeah. property and a no go. But um, because their connection to the township, their, their reliance on services, I guess, um, within the township, they they lived on a fringe there. Yeah. But um, there was there was um, you know no no talk that I've come across. That, like the likes of which what happened in Walgett with blackfellas and whitefellas, very belligerent white people, especially with alcohol in them, they'd really um, openly mistreat Aboriginal people and men publicly on the street, whereas didn't hear that around Angleton as much. Yeah, right. Um, I'm not saying it was completely, you know, totally absent, but with Walgett, there's, there's um, a strong memory of maltreatment by belligerent white people, white men, towards Aboriginal men mm. of all ages. Um, but I didn't hear, I certainly not heard that with yeah. relation to Angledore. And so with Angledore Mission, I guess stories that you hear from there, they generally positive stories? Like you hear, you know, some, hear people talk about, oh, you know, like, oh, they look back on mission days as being fond days, you know, sometimes, and then other mob, you know, they, you know, might look back on their mission days as being you know, terrible and, and oppressive. Um, what vibe have you gotten from stories of Angledore Mission? Um, I, I guess part, part of um, the, the reason why Angledore Mission doesn't have that um, lingering um, sort of uh, Feeling of you know complete oppression upon our mob um, of all you know the, the violent and the, and the social and the rest of it is that it, it wasn't as long lasting as 
some of the other missions, like Brewarna, like Walbert, Kingy Mission. Mm. So it was, I think in relation to those other places, it was um, a short-lived experience. So it wasn't a um, multi-generational experience. Um, uh, whereas Walbert, that went up right up into the 60s, you say. So. Yeah. So uh, completely, hang uh, a little, sorry, that experience ended in the mid-30s. So, you know, some 30 years before Wildwood. Mm. Um, so I think because it, it was just that one generation, I think, that had that experience, um, that it wasn't passed on then to another generation that had to live in those, you know, conditions yeah. that I, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, so yeah. That sentiment that, you know, we have a very, very, people from that part of the world have a very, very, um, you know, like uh, affectionate um, feeling for that part of the world, Angadol, mm. you know, fond feelings because of experiences from their grandparents or their parents mm. um, that uh, give some sort of uh, it, it, it fills some sort of a void with them, within them, mm. that they can feel a little bit peaceful about something because of all the trauma, of, you know, that's been um, lots of our mob had to experience and endure. Um, whereas we sort of, I think, we'd like to find that peaceful um, place for our memories of our people's experience. I mm. think. Um, rather than to, because there's a lot of positive um, stories about uh, our mob out there. Was freedom um, was one of them. Um, there's, you know, there's still talk in the 20th century of uh, traditional um, customs and, and ceremonies um, being practiced up there. Uh, certainly um, around language and you know preservation of story. Um, but, but like separate to the mission. Separate, yeah, and, and after post post mission. Yeah, but it's then still around the town, like on a, a camp just on the outskirts of Angle yeah. or something. Yeah, um, I mean, there's I've seen um, documents where, um, where there's well, it was documented by um, white residents of hearing, you know, and and having knowledge of traditional ceremony being. Um, Taking place out there, close by, within you know earshot of of um, the township, mm. would, but um, yeah, just things that they didn't have that overbearing belligerence of, of the the, the white fellows that some of the communities of Bree Warren and Walwood and these other places had. Yeah. Um, that, and again, I'll go back to the isolation of the region. Um, which which is, played a big part in that. Yeah. Oh, that's what I believe anyway. I mean, if we can look at other places that opened up a lot, lot earlier than Angledore to townships and larger township service centres. That um, today you look at places like Canaveral, um, even Burke, um, to, you know, that they've not been able to maintain as richer um, context of connection to country language and culture as a mob further west you say mm. that's that's my, my experience out there anyway I, um, I see our our area because we have um, unmitigated access to 
certain parts of the country, sacred sites and special places that, and we've maintained those connections over generations. Multi, like going back, there's, well, for some of our country, or a lot of our country, we haven't, that connection hasn't been broken, so. Mm. So you can go back, um, you know, a number of generations that have continued to practice or visiting country, special places, sacred sites. Um, country knows we're there. Um, we take people there, we take people from there back there. Um, I, I do a lot of that, Dad has done a lot of that, and you know, um, there are some others in the region that, that have done that. You've got uh, Uncle Badger Bates down in Barkindy country, and you've got other people throughout that western part of New South Wales. Um, so yeah, I was just, I think the isolation was a bit of a um, positive for us in one way, mm. um, which, you know, a lot of people don't really understand how important that is, how, how, how important it has become. Because yeah. um, we could have lost a hell of a lot more than we've managed to maintain, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, I guess people that are coming from around Angledore, they'll be um, you know, Uluroi, yeah, and then around Walgett, and then you know, further south and east, Gamilaroi. Uh, so, what are the differences between those two mobs? Because I guess you also you having a lot of people coming from. Angledore, you uh, mob living in Walgett these days, and, mm. and then yeah. yeah, they're kind of going back and forth. So, what deems someone to be you know Gamilaroi or Uluroi? Yeah, there's Walgett um, up into you know, the Namai Valley, if you like, which ends at Walgett. Um, is all entirely contained within the nation of Gamilaroi. Um, the Gimilori Nation, the Gimilori language group, there's, within all that there's lots of um, sub-dialects, if you like, that are specific to that part of the Gimilori Nation. Um, I refer to our part of the Gimilori world as the Western Gimilori. Um, there's, there's very, very strong cultural um, connections between that Western Gamilaroi mob at Walgut and the Ualiai Ualiai mob, which is our, our mob. So much so it goes back to creation of the first man and woman, but it goes back further than that. It goes to um, the two brothers who looked after the mob at a Bangat and at Bangalore area. Um, which is the Uluroi, Uluroi country, and then you got the um, Nyingba Western Gamilaroi mob on the Barwon, Nemoi. Whenever there's a senior council, right, of men, and the one at Walwood was Galiguruna, and the one at Bangat and Fuangaroo was Mangala. Now these were brothers, and the old, the old story tells us they cultural brothers and there was a manifestation of them as um, the crocodile and they were in the river so there's a place at, at Angledore 
right. uh, but at Bangatory. Yeah, yeah. Um, your nan would have known of this place. I might remember him talking about it years ago. Uh, the Mangala tree. Mm. There was a big old dead river gum on the Narran River. That was a ceremonial place for the senior men. Um, and that's where Mangala was in there, in that water hole. Same at Walgut with Gully Gurna. He was in that water hole there. And um, there's an old story that uh, connects that mob and uh, the Barn River and Walgut to the Narran Lake, to the people of the Narran. And Gully Gurna was the fellow that provided water holes for the mob at the Barwon to be able to travel to Narran. Yeah. Um, so, and they say he's still there now. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, did you say a crocodile? Like, yeah. It's a long way from crocodile country. Yeah, it's interesting that, that they'll be talking well, about crocodiles down here. Well, um, Garia. Oh, Garia? If we use no our way of speaking, Garia. Um, that's the name for a crocodile. All right. And there were two crocodiles. So, so, how do you say it again? Gutty. Gutty, yeah. That's interesting, I guess. Well, well, I mean, Western Australia, they call Gutty a white fella, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah, so, Gutty, and there were two brothers. Yeah. Um, there was a big brother and a little brother, and these guys, these characters appear in, the, in another story, which is the creation of the Narran Lake, and that site where that story begins, where that um, event happened, is called Garigal. Okay. Garigal Spring. So the G-A-L, it turns, you know, the singular into plural. Mm. So Garigal, two crocodiles. Yeah, right. So they were there, and the big brother and little brother, there was a you know, significant event um, that happened there, um, which is the beginning of the story to do with the creation of Narran Lake. Mm. But interestingly, we talk about language. You know, we're in Tamworth now, a long way from our Uruguay country, Narran. There's a street just down the hill here called Kurigal. All mixed up in a number of, heaps of streets down there, Uruguay names. But um, there's, you know, there's evidence of crocodiles right along that bound system. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so Cuddy, Cuddy Springs is probably one of the most well-known archaeological sites for archos in Australia, called yeah. megafauna. Yeah. So um, they've excavated, you know, buckets and buckets of bones from crocodiles. So are these bones going back to before like humans were were here, like going back to dinosaur times, or are these crocodiles living there, wild blackfellas are living there? We, the we were there with them, our, our people there with them. We have a story of it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So we had a story of that place um, before, obviously before whitefellas come in, mm. but it's a creation story for that whalewind mob, which is sort of south-southwest of Walgut, uh, adjacent, you know, on that south West End of the Gumaroi Nation, hmm. Wailon country. So it was, you know, connected the Barwon River to the Macquarie Marshes, which is in the heartland of Wailon country. Um, and they talk about, so, you know, the, the evidence there, um, I think it, it pointed towards two large um, creatures that 
There were crocodiles, and one one was a smaller one, one was a large one. Mm. Two different crocodiles. Yeah. Which goes to the, the story around the two brothers, one big brother, one little brother. Yeah. Wow. So they're different sets of bones, not from the same. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. So like you got salty and freshy today, eh? Saltwater, freshwater. Yeah. So there was something back there that defined two different crocodiles. Okay. But our story's talked of it for thousands of years. Yeah. And we still have that story. Um, and I was talking to some Wailwind people um, middle of last year and they, they still share that when they're out in Macquarie Marshes, they still share that story with, with their mob because it is Wailwind country. Um, but it's just, you know, the shared story across the Europe mob, across to that uh, Gamilaroi mob. With old Mullion, no witch tail. Mm. Yeah, so um, you know the the stories and the language and the places that um, give rise to the significance of a particular uh, language word or or name. As you know, it it goes back tens of thousands of years, right up to today. Mm. Um, now Garigal. The word Garia, had it not been for that story about uh, Narran Lake and that site, we would have lost that word for a crocodile thousands of years ago, wouldn't we? When the yeah. crocodile disappeared from that part of the world. Yeah, right. We would have lost that, but we never lost it because it holds significant, because there is a place that carries that name yeah. of those, those creatures and that story of what happened there through the thousands of years up until today. Yeah. So language is very powerful in that sense, but um, without that place, it would not have carried yeah. for the thousands of years. You know what I mean? So these stories now, are they shared openly uh, amongst black and white people as part of the history of the area? Um, I think there was, there was, a, there was a woman um, on the Narran, back in the 1800s, late 1800s, uh, Langlow Parker, that grew very close to the to um, the mob there, and um, obviously she was given um, access to, to to people that um, had had the strong knowledge, and they gave her permission to to uh, write the stories down because of fear. Of, those stories being so important that the fear that they'd be lost. Yeah. Um, so that's so a lot of a lot of our stories have been written down um, by her back then, and um, albeit you know now the language of the time, her English language of the time, but certainly the the country and the the, the characters in the stories and the significant sort of stories are there. Um, there's other, you know we've maintained our connection through constant visits to these places um, and the prominence of our story, particular story over another was because of, uh, you know, um, the, you know, the continuation of, of access but also, you know, we're taking new people out, our people out to learn about the country but through story. So the Galigurana one I talked about the connection for the Wilder people to Narran. We still do that. We've been doing that for a long, long, long time. Um, so that's been shared constantly. Um, 
and as people learn more about the stories, we, you know, they they expand their their knowledge then into yeah. other parts of the story. But certainly, there's the like the Gutia, the name. Um, there's certain places that, because of the name, um, carries on beyond just everyday knowledge. So people might not necessarily know the full story, but if they've heard it, they know that Gutti is a very important and you know important part of the language out there, important part of the culture out there. You go to Lightning Ridge, there was a big mural done on the side of a building there with the crocodiles. Um, it's been, you know, through art, it's been captured yeah. um, through the story. So, um, yeah, so even even white people out there, station holders, um, landholders, they, they have um, places with language names, but they don't necessarily know it. But they, it's important to them because it's, important piece of their farm. Mm. So down through their ledges, that paddock is named Maramana. And it's because of that water hole, the dragonfly. But they don't know the story, but it's carried through, you see. Mm. It's carried through thousands of years. Yeah. So we're lucky in that way that we still have um, that, those stories that explain why. To, to anybody else, it's say, oh, and to the, to the bloke that drives a tractor, you go into Maramana paddock to cultivate those 500 acres or whatever. He doesn't know anything else beyond that, does he? Mm. But because we have that story of why that, and why that paddock was important to those early settlers was because that's where the well is. And that's where, that's called, that water hole is called Maramana, mm. the dragonfly. So I'm fascinated by how our language is carried through time. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter how it's done, I don't think, James. I think that it is being held onto and carried in some manner. Yeah. Um, but then it, it still holds its value then, I think. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is interesting how you have the, a lot of language being documented and, and written down now. I was just in, uh, in Sydney recently and um, uh, John, oh, how do you pronounce his last name? Geocon. Uh, Geocon. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's interesting having a non-Aboriginal person as an authority in, in the language and, and doing work to to continue it and share it and also rediscover new words and help uh, with that. So is there a different feeling about, I guess, learning things that way as opposed to you, know, you and your, your father learning them from the oral tradition? Yes, I mean, Gimilaroi Nation and Gimilaroi speakers, I guess, um, have to look very um, objectively at the work of the language, um, which is hard for some of our mob to do, to take emotion out of stuff. So they, there's very strong feelings about John within the Gimilaroi um, and, and Aboriginal languages um, in general, I think there's strong feelings for and against, you know, what, what he's doing. Um, certainly, I think they respect what is being done, um, the work that's been done, um, the, you know, the resource, which is such a fantastic resource for so many people, the um, 
a dictionary. Um, I mean, some of the language, or a lot of language that um, recorded for our part of the world um, was from my great-grandfather, one of my great-grandfathers, Arthur Dodd. So I grew up with that around me, and mum was the, the language speaker in the house all through my young life, um, more so than dad. Dad talked about language out on country. That was important about a piece of country was the language, the names of the characters and things like that. So when, we, when I was out on country with dad, that's where he was um, talking with language. Mm. But at home, it was, it was all mum. Yeah, right. Um, so my sister would know um, a lot of language as well, you see, because she spent more time with mum. But, um, but back to your to, um, question around uh, John and, and, and how people learn language. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, it's probably where we are now in 2018, it's probably less important how you, how you learn it. I think we're at the point now where by whatever means, we need more people, more people of the language to learn it. Um, to give it, you know, real meaning. Um, the value is in the language, of course, it's, in, you know, it's intangible. But um, we ought to focus more on learning it um, by whatever means than we do on who's the teacher. Yeah. I think. Um, I, I mean, that's what I see, that's where the, the ultimate value can be realised, and that is the longevity of the language. Because we can hang on to cultural practices, dance, and with those dance song, with stories, language, with song language, um, you know, we, we have a wonderful opportunity for a Gamilaroi nation, for Ualaroi, uh, um to to revitalise um, the language. We have people left that grew up listening to the old people language, so they know the tongue, yeah. they have an ear for it, they have a tongue for it. Um, I think we just, we, you know, we ought to be thinking about how do we bring those people um, to the circle of language revitalisation, because they have important, valuable um, pieces to the language, which is the ear for it, um, which I think, honestly, and John probably would um, acknowledge this, uh, that he doesn't have the tongue for the language is through through um, you know countless hours of listening 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 rewind rewind play rewind play he's picked up an ear for for um, the, the little pieces of the language mm. but he knows when he hears someone speaks speak with the old tongue he knows that that's the old tongue yeah right so there's a different difference in it so okay yeah so yeah what, what's the difference between the old well, and the new tongue like the word gadia yeah the, the the evolution of the tongue today would say garia yeah okay you know it takes the roll of the double r garia yeah yeah so warrenbull we changed to warrenbull because whitefuller changed it yeah to make it easy for him to say so, is there not a way that you can write it out so that you can make sure that you have the old tongue coming through? Like the I, with the, with our language, it's um, 
that structure and spelling um, system and structure is there so that if you if you go go into it properly and you get an ear, you hear that then you'll you'll have that knowledge of it right it, even for me because I just say Garia a lot of people say Garia so we um, so, so yeah how, how would you spell it G with the rules in the book yeah. it's a G A double R yeah I Y A Garia yeah the white the, the, the other way it was spelt when it was first written now was with a G double O double R Guru yeah 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 right okay um, because that yeah anyway within the, the the rules of the spelling um, and and the, the you know the sounds um, the way it's written you learn those double R sounds and the different what you know how you sound that out when you see it yeah it's all there mm. um, but if the person you're learning from has not learnt that way then. Um, you need to listen to to some somebody who's who's, who's said these things in a, in that old way. Mm. Um, and but I mean, does it does it mean that the language isn't true? People slightly change garia to a garia. Yeah. Right. Unless there's a word garia, which means something completely different to what garia means. Are you following? Yeah. So, is it important or not? Not so important to make those very fine distinctions. Some people feel very strongly that yes, um, absolutely. Um, some people I've heard people um, very, very um, adamant that uh, if it's not said the right way, it shouldn't be said. Hmm. Um, why? You know, they didn't um, elaborate on as to why they felt that way, but. Uh, um, and then obviously there's there's a there's a big um, number of people that and and a lot of these people aren't even your or Gamilaroi, um learning our languages mm. um, for whatever reasons um, you know is it important that we know that there was an old tongue and there's an evolution of a new tongue. I think we need to, we need to, um, you know, make that statement and say yes, and make the distinction that there's been an evolution. I call it an evolution of the tongue because we've grown up speaking English. That English was not our old language; didn't sit with English well. So we had Gamilaroi change the Camilleroi. Mm. We had the softening of words. So we saw C's and K's come into our language um, through interpretation of white people, not our people, not yeah. white people. So, so that's happened, and a lot of people, lots and lots of people, thousands, identify as Camilleroi. Are they wrong to do that? You know what I mean? I know. Are they? This is this is the thing. Some people feel strongly that you know you, you now that you have the knowledge that. We aren't Camilleroi, it was changed by a white fellow and it's, we're Camilleroi people. Mm. You should drop the use of the K. Yeah. But some people, I've spoken to Aboriginal linguists that won't drop that K. 
Okay. Because they feel it's part of their identity who they grew up as. Yeah, it's interesting. I grew up only seeing it spelled with a K, mm. and then you know you, you've got the highway there, you've got it on all these signs and that, and then just recently I started to see you know being used with the G and then the double A at the end. Yeah, yeah. As well. Yeah, well, there's a um, there's a number of different ways end that that it's been used to spell. Dad, when he asked years and years ago. How do you spell the other eye? The eye? He said, well, there's probably seven different spellings he saw and he didn't really care which one he used. Yeah. It's the people that's important. Yeah, right. You know, the spelling. Yeah, the spelling, of course, it, you know, it's, it, it is very important um, that we want to have that integrity within the, you know, the language itself. Um, but it's true to, you know, we... We say, yeah, there's a there's a slight, there's a subtle, um, you know, uh, evolution in the in the tongue. That means it might sound a little bit different, but not, no, terribly different to what the original word was. Hmm. Um, I, I, it's it is it's a, you know it's a tough question because people get very emotional about it. Um, and as I said earlier, some people that that have the strongest opinions about language use and revitalization and language users are people that don't necessarily intend on using language. Yeah, right. But they have strong opinions about everything, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so. It is interesting, I'm just doing this podcast, I've found that some people feel that the sharing of language to people outside of the mob whose language it is shouldn't happen until all that mob have had a chance to learn the language. Yeah, it's just wondering about your feelings in regards to sharing uh, Uralaroi and Gamilaroi language beyond people who aren't Uralaroi and Gamilaroi. Well, uh, my my um, view on that is is the same as my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, um, was that the language, you know, well, the great-grandfathers and grandfather, they had seven different languages. So if we were to apply that, if they were to apply that rule, they wouldn't have known those other languages. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense at all. Um, so... As Dad used to say, he said he'd share his language, his culture with anyone. That's that's the only way we can be sure that it, it'll continue, it'll survive. Mm. Um, of course, we want our young people to to take that up, the interest and and the value in in their culture, their identity, their language, their country. Um, but because of missions and these other things have done such a good job on our people, um, it means that um, that's not always the case for all families, because it it it's it's quite a um, undertaking, James, to to devote yourself to, and you'd have to devote you know, a, a number of years to learning your language, mm. um, your culture, but your country. But I don't know of any paid work that that will do that. I don't know of any courses that will do that properly. Mm. So we've got to survive, we've got to 
you know, live. So that's the, the predicament we're in. How do we, how do we, as you or I, you LEI people, ensure that um, we have, we we maintain, um, a, 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 you know, a core group of cultural leaders, if you like, um, language people. Um, if they had to go off and get a job in a shire or get a job with a government department or, you know, um, private business, and, mm. and then still do that. Yeah. So uh, we, it, it is difficult, but it's because of the, how I grew up, it's what I've grown up with it's, as a kid, with dad through the 70s and 80s, um, was into the early 90s, was out on country, looking after country at every opportunity. Mm. So paid or otherwise, so every opportunity, get out on country. Um, he took it and he took me with him. That was part of the, the deal. If, uh, someone wanted to come and do something cultural, he had to take me with him. That was mum's rule. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have much say in it, but um, that's that's the that's the you know the, where we find ourselves is that if we if we're to have such strong feelings um, about protocol. Mustn't we all have the depth of understanding or protocol and knowledge? Yeah. Or do we make it up ourselves? Yeah. About that use of the language. Yeah. Well, what protocols are there? What what are known for sure? What, what do you hold as your guiding principles in regards to the reclamation and the sharing of language? Um, I'll go back to my... My, my knowledge of culture and our people and the country they lived in and how they lived there, um, it was all, the knowledge, yes, there's, there's massive ceremonial stuff, rituals and all the rest of it, very, very sacred, very important, but the practicality of living where they lived was important. So this, if they didn't have that, share, that um, system of sharing, the basic knowledge, on the practicality of living in that country. Mm. So the knowledge of the plants, the good and the bad, the knowledge of weather systems, the knowledge of all these, all these knowledge sets, you know, yeah. that, re that were required to have a successful social group of people living in those areas, big numbers of people as well. It was around practicality. Yeah. So practically we need more people than we have to learn our language, to learn our culture. So uh, yes, there's higher knowledge um, um, that not everybody, um, you know, reached or were even bothered with, and that's the same in any society. There's your higher learners, and then there's your everyday people in every culture. Every it's part of human experience. So how I just our, our people just really nailed it to the point where we were successful for beyond 60,000 years, without warring, without any of those sorts of things. Um, our justice system was the best it's ever been. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just so, so yes, we have to, we have to share, but uh, if, you were to, if you were to get to the point to, to be 
um, talking about protocol, but you're not able to give us some depth of that knowledge of where does, where does your knowledge of that protocol come from? Because my grandfather, my father's father, spoke seven languages. My mother's grandfather's, on our mother's side, spoke seven languages, and that was the norm for senior, um, for men in those in those parts of the world. That was norm. Um, so unless those other mob, Guamu mob, Wailu mob, unless they had a strict protocol that if you went Wailu and you didn't learn our language, no, that wasn't the case. Mm. And does that then extend to non-Aboriginal people? There's, we, we're very accommodating people, James, you know that. We, our experience um, and our stories about generosity, um, you know, um, uh, intergenerational. We hear stories about the generosity of our people towards strangers. Um, so that was part of our culture as well, mm. you know, um, part of law, if you like, in, in, in our culture. Um, so, yes, we shared with other people. We, yeah. um, we across this country, there's, it's been documented where white people have gone in and um, from different, you know, England, Germany, wherever they come from, went into those communities, lived in those communities and was given language by those people in those communities. They didn't learn it from the Mulga trees. Out, you know, the, the people in Central Australia with the Lutherans and these other people that went there, they learned a the language, they interpreted, they translated Bibles into other languages, didn't they? Mm. In Aboriginal languages in some parts I heard. So we have a culture and it's one of the fundamentals of our culture is about sharing. Yeah. About sharing knowledge. There's higher knowledge, there's secret knowledge, there's sacred knowledge, but there's the practical knowledge which is important, for, and you learn it from a baby right through. The, the learning you get into your teens is about the practicality of you and your country. Yeah. How do you survive? Where are the water holes? How do you find the water hole? What grasses you know, do I use this time of year? What medicines? What, what don't I touch? Those sorts of things. Yeah. And they were shared openly. But then I can also understand some black fellows resentment towards white fellas and not wanting to share our culture and knowledge because of the way that we were treated by or at least our um, you know our parents our grandparents our ancestors were treated by white fellas so is there something to be said about that as to understanding why it might be hard for some people to want to share culture with white fellas Yes, I uh, look. I, I understand that, and, and I've, you know, I'll, I'll say um, that Mum was not happy about um, um, was not happy about some of the people that Dad worked with, Whitefellas researchers, and John Jacon with the language. She won't. She was not happy about that for her own reasons. She would. She saw a lot of take and not a lot of give. So she. Th she thought about things in a tangible way, whereas Dad was more pragmatic about life and about um, the, the work that he did and who he did it with. And, and he always said it's... While Mum felt strongly about um, the researchers coming and taking, 
and not giving back. It's different for people that stay and give back. Mm. See? She just saw a lot of people, and she saw with her grandfather, um, white woman come and take his language and never came back. Never saw anything come back, so. Yeah. But she was, she, she, you know, sort of, um, I think, like the great-grandfather and, and, and great-uncles and, and those that documented the language freely, openly, knew why they were doing it. And that, you know, it was for, it was for this very time, mm. you know, that's why they were doing it. Um, and I know people feel strongly about sharing culture with, with people that they, um, aren't from your country, but uh, there's certain things here you share, the practical knowledge around, um, you know, living in your country. There's your secret and sacred stuff that you don't, because some people just aren't up to that. They're not going to. They're never going to get that knowledge. It doesn't mean anything to them. It mm. never will. But what means something to them that there's somebody within their group has that. Mm. That's what's always been important. I mightn't know the depth of that story or that law, but I know. You know, that it's important, and I know that somebody else is looking after it for us. So I'll just go and be the good fisherman, the good hunter, the good whatever I am, you know. And there's different parts of culture that's looked after by certain people, and we don't question that. We just go along. Um, and sometimes I think pe some people may be questioning outside of, you know, their area. It, but, I, but it. It's, it's not, um, they're not doing it to be, you know, difficult or, or to, you know, be um, confrontational. They have a, it comes from a strong emotion that they feel. It comes from their identity, doesn't it? You know, their family identity, their, their clan, their culture, their country. And that's important. I mean, that's important to acknowledge that. You know, we just we, we ought to be having um, more conversations among people, um, not just within the language circle, if you like, because we people in that circle um, are there because they're all like-minded people. Are. But we we sort of we should be you know ought to be talking more among our our other um, um, people within our communities within our cultural group about. Um, why we we do the work we do, why we feel it's important that um, you know we share certain information, certain knowledge, um, and our language with uh, non gamilaroi non Gilroy people. Mm. But that's you know the, I I go back to whenever it's, it's brought up to me. It's well, my great grandfather, my grandfather's. Um, they didn't live by that principle of being closed and not sharing. Mm. They lived, the principle was opposite to that, to share. Um, and a lot of black people still do it today. You go, to, you travel up and down the coast, you go here and there, and you talk with people with a cultural, um, with cultural knowledge of the area. They, first thing they do, they start pointing out a mountain or a river or, you know, and the cultural significance of that or the language name of that. So we. 
people do it all the time, don't they? Yeah. But I think if they sit down and they try and have a conversation about it, it's it's um, they they come with a you know a, um, what do you, they, they've already made their mind up about that about the language. Um, revitalization which was a language revival who should be doing it um, who should be allowed to learn it um, who should be teaching it there's, there's very strong sentiment out there um, at the end of the day we owe we owe the you know the wealth of language and knowledge we have to yes to our our old people but their insight, their vision, and their, you know, their wisdom to be able to sit down with somebody and make the decision whether to trust this person with this, that they'll do the right thing with their knowledge because they are not ULRI, they're not ULI, they're not Camilleri. But is this person important? And I, I think, I'd like to think that that was a thinking, part of the thinking that, that uh, our old people um, had gone on in their head when, when it was a decision, um, when it came time to make a decision whether they were going to share with this person or not. Yeah. It was a conscious decision. It was something that that old heads have made, and wise heads, wiser heads than ours. And um, those people we could not even dream to to be in the class they were in, um, in terms of knowledge and wisdom. So I trust that. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. We just think about how valuable those tapes are to you know, us having language today. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, if, 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 if uh, Grandfather Fred Rice, Grandfather Dodd, Grandfather Charlie Dodd, and the countless other people across the country, uh, particularly south southeast part of Australia, if they were of the mind that they weren't to share any of that, where would we be? Mm. And they did that because they, they had the vision and insight and the wisdom that what they were doing at that particular time was going to be very, very important in the future. Yeah. So I, I, um, I'll go back to that if I'm questioning about who should learn, who should teach um, language. Mm. So where is language being taught and learned? Is it happening in schools or, because I guess um, popping down to Sydney recently, they had that two-week mm. course and, mm. yeah, so where else are people learning? Um, right across the, um, as far as I'm aware, there's, there's schools, public schools, right across the Gumilaroi Nation um, and uh, Lightning Ridge. Um, Gadoga, I believe, and, um, and one of the most um, uh, interesting um, things for me around the, the teaching of language is the fact that one of the first language um, programs, Kimilaroi-Ualaroi language programs to be established in a, in a school was in the Wolga Catholic School, St Joseph's. Um, They've been their language program's been going um, almost twenty years, mm. teaching language to all students 
they go through that school. Um, and most of those students are white. Yeah. So most of the people that learn language in Walgut um, are white people. Yeah, right. I find it amazing. Mm. Walgut being one of the notoriously most racist places in Australia is one of the biggest language learning places in for, for you know, two decades almost. Mm. And the, the majority of learners are white. That's, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. A turnaround. Yeah, true. You know? Um, as I said, notoriously racist place. Um, some of the... Um, yeah, so I, I just... I, I never, it never ceases to amaze me that when I see those little kids... You know, there's our, our Gilroy, Gamilaroi, Walwyn, kids learning, yeah. And, but the fact that that's happening, I think, you know, says a lot about the, the value and the strength of, of our languages. Oh. Um, and that program doesn't stop, doesn't look like stopping anytime soon. I mean, it's almost 20 years. Um, it's instituted into the, to the um, school there. They have a dedicated position there for language, they got their own language classroom built. Yeah. Own language teacher. Is their sole role at that school is to teach language. And when did that start up? Almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, well. And I've, you know, on NAIDOC days, I've taken the little kids out onto the river and talked about stuff. And and you stand back and look at them with their, their little language books. And there might be, you know, uh, 40, 15 kids there. And ten of them were white. Kids, farmers, children, police, um, and, and other you know white people throughout the community. That send their kids to Catholic school in Walgut. Mm. So that's that might be lost on a lot of people, but it, that fact is it never lost on me. So that reinforces my my value, my higher value for our language how important it is, how valuable it is. And other people value it, not just our mob. Um, so that, so I, I, I try and maintain a connection between the language, country, and culture. Um, to try and add to that value, if you like, across each. Yeah. So Camilleroy is a big country, mm. I guess, it stretches down here to Tamworth, yeah? Mm. Can you give us an idea of some of the towns to get an idea of the, the well, size of Well, we get Walwood in the west, from west from Tamworth, um, in Coonabarabran, um, so I said south east to Coonabarabran, through the Pilliga forest, um, across to the ranges, really. Um, so Coola, um, uh, you got Corindai in this area, whereas Creek, um, then it stretches up into from from here goes north, you know, to uh, um, up towards Moree, um, Bogabilla, towards and St George, I believe, is most northern yeah. um, boundary for the Gamilaroi Nation, and then it um, heads back southwest, um, and there's the Uluru boundary on that southwest. That, yeah. um, Oh, well, that would that would be the northwest part of the the um, Nation boundary. So heading from that Queensland area back towards Walgut, yeah, Collar and Abrai. Yeah. 
Um, so it is yeah, quite a, quite a big area, but it's very rich mm. um, area, with a, you know, in, in terms of the country. So it's very little snow here, so it wasn't as harsh as the south. Um, yeah, it gets very hot in the summers, but we had lots of rivers and creeks um, right across the country. So um, very, very rich place for, you know, people back in them times and even probably even more so now. Agriculturally and all that, you know. So, um, yeah. So it's 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 quite a large um, nation, um, one of the largest in the in Australia, and and not, you know, one of the largest populations as well. Um, in you know in Australia, so yeah. I think Rajri is um, accepted as probably the largest nation with the largest popula population and largest area. Um, and then you have Gumilaroi. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, so we've got probably thousands and thousands of people from Gumilaroi Nation um, spread out all over the country. Um, Is there any or are there plans to have similar language projects like you'd have in Walgut in other parts of Gumilaroi country? Other um, towns? Yeah, well, Lightning Ridge, they, they, uh, the public school there, they've had a, um, a long-standing language uh, program there, I believe. Um, they they uh, deal predominantly with ULRI, ULEI mm. language, obviously. Um, but there's, there's language here in Tamworth. Oh, yeah. Um, they have... Uh, one, one of the really strong speakers um, of Gumilaroi language I've heard Lives here in Tamworth. He's only a young fella. Um, you know, he sing, he's, he does song in language. Um, a very, very good, strong language speaker. Yeah. And he's a young fella. Um, Who's he? Oh, Mark Sutherland, I think. All right. Um, works at the community centre down here with the kids, I believe. Yeah. But uh, very, very strong. Uh, there's there's uh, young people using language. Uh, in song, in the in the music, here in Tamworth and in other places, yeah. um, so uh, it's very very strong and it's it's on the rise. It's on the rise amongst our own people, um, which which is what we wanted. Um, so uh, and people are using it for different um, purposes in their life, um, professional or work or, or even personal would. Um, you know, their own cultural journey, uh, their own journey to, you know, um, find out who they really are and that sort of thing. But people, uh, I love it when uh, young people use it in their music. Mm. Um, and I think if you, you look a bit closer at it, in Tamworth, there's, a, there's quite a few here that have done that. Mm. There's one young girl that uh, her parents and grandparents um, moved here from Walworth. Um, there was a story done on her in the media, um, one of the local media TV um, stations that done a story on her with their language and song. Um, yeah, writing lyrics using her given her language. Yeah. Yeah, and contemporary music, of course. Yeah. I guess for myself, I'm wanting to do something similar. What would be the best process of going about it? Uh, I guess learning some language and then being able to put it into song. Is that a matter of 
getting in, stuck into dictionaries or talking to particular people first and yeah um and there's there's a question in that as to if you're going to use the language and you're going to write you, you would write uh, contemporary songs with contemporary music then is it acceptable to to use the language not as it was used in a spoken form traditionally so there was a there was a certain a specific way that the language was spoken and in some people's when they, when they when they experience that and see that and hear it translated it's backwards sometimes yeah so I, I think it's just up to the individual James if you uh, you know like if you're true to the to, to the um, to the word um, to the meaning of the word um, then how you use that word that to express your culture, your identity. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, I think that's up to you. Mm. Um, you're not doing it to be disrespectful. That's one of the first things people, uh, you know, they see that it's done respectfully. Um, that it's not used to, well, you know, you're not um, using it in the wrong way, that you it's not a political thing to bring people down, anything like that, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think just the respectful side of it is is, is primary. Um, then it's up to you to how, how that might, um, how those words and that sentiment fall on the, on the pages and, and then uh, how, they, how they delivered. Oof. But I, just in terms of the protocol, it's just basically it's the fundamental protocol is respect. If, if uh, anyone questions it and it's seen to be done in a respectful way, that's your country, your language. It's not just mine. It's not just that person from Bogabilla or mm. Colorinabri or Walgut. It's our language. It's your language, my language. Mm. So uh, if, uh, if you were to use that in a respectful manner and to, to express, you know, cultural ideas or, or, or anything personal in your life, then I think that's entirely appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, I guess how you say it's my language, I, I kind of feel a little bit funny for the fact that, you know, I was born and raised in Sydney mm. and, you know, of course I'd make it up to, you know, Walgett and the Ridge once or twice every year, but it still feels like my family's cultural heart is up there. Uh, and now I'm living in Melbourne and don't have as much connection with mm. you know, up there and it seems a tricky one as to how much I can call it my country through my parents, grandparents and ancestors. Yeah, yeah, well, um, I mean, that, I suppose you, we might expect that from people that have been removed and maybe one or two generations removed from the country but ultimately isn't it about your identity as who you see yourself as. Okay. That's, I think that's what, and if you can express that um, clearly then, and that's what you believe, mm. well then that's, I mean that's at the end of the day, that's who you've got to be comfortable with. Mm. Um, so 
So I, I guess some people might think that, and and I've heard it, you know, people that not lived on country, but use language a lot in in their in their art and their, their true music. Um, I, I I love it. I mean, and I've not heard a lot of negative or much at all negative around it. I mean, we we were at a at a um, conference out in Coba in six, December 16 and we had some some young ladies from Yilroy Heritage um, sing their own language and there was, it was so um, well received, you know, people were so happy to hear it and be in the presence of people that are using these old languages. Mm. So even if it's not yours, it's your neighbour's language or just, um, yeah, it's, it's a very, um, you know, positive thing. Um, as I said, it's done with respect and with love for the language, the culture, um, the people, and it reinforces our identity, it reinforces your identity. Um, you, some people may well be in, still in the process of establishing, you know, their identity, um, particularly younger people um, that have not grown up in Walwood or Bray Warren or Lightning Ridge, Cadoga. But they they descend from their heritage, you know, stems from there, um, and that is a very very strong part of their identity, their heritage. But how does that play out with a person seeking to have a deeper connection to this place? Um, you certainly wouldn't be able to go to. Lap Rose and cement yourself as a cultural person there and create a cultural identity there. Um, the way we know it, our, how, how our culture works. But it's not, um, it's not unreasonable for a person to go back and that's why we call it reconnect. Reconnect the culture, reconnect the country through culture. And if language is the, you know, the door, then I think, you know, that's that's probably um, that's only right that it is that way that people reconnect. They find something to reconnect them to their country through their cultural identity, to establish their identity. Um, and, I, you know, you see it with uh, people, it's it's important whether they're in, uh, in you know, political type of life or uh, um, artists particularly. Um, they seem to you know, gain a lot of inspiration through that. So um, it's it's you know it's something that positive stuff comes from it. So it's just sharing again of languages or another audience, mm. if you like, and then they they pick up some of the culture in that. If the more culture you share in that, the more country we talk about in our in or well, particularly in your area with music. Um, if you to write a song, and, and like your old grand, you know, your old data, your old pop, wrote about country, sung about country. So that, you know, that's who he was, you know, fundamentally. That's what he went back to, eh? And same with all of us. So it's just, a, I think it's just a wonderful thing if people can do that. Mm. And uh, if using the language to, to reinforce that identity. Mm. I mean, that's 
be able to do that is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it's just another way of sharing our language, our culture. Um, it's a continuation of a really, really ancient practice. We all know how old it's. Um, so the, the fundamental protocol is always respect. Um, if you come from that place, um, then people are going to receive it as such. Um, not everyone likes country music, but they accept that it's out there. So, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then if I was to say write a song or wanting to write a song about the story of the two crocodiles, is there something I should be conscious of in regards to where that can be sung or you know, how I go about it and how I ensure that you know, I'm doing the right things by the stories and such? Well, I, I think the first, the, the obvious um, um, thought would be that how, how um, does this person connect to that story? Um, is it, um, well, you, you people would want to be able to um, know that you can demonstrate that you know that song because you've been to that place. And mm. you know that story because you know, because your grandmother, your mother, grandmother, great-grandmother belongs there, belong there, but uh, that you went out and you, you know, you've learned that story on country. That, I think that's part of, and that again is the respectful side of things. Yeah. To do things in a respectful way is to, um, is to go out there and and actually sit down in the country and learn it. So, um, yeah, I mean that it's it's your your interpretation of, of that story to hear that story um, to uh, then give your artistic interpretation of it. That's um, you know not going away from what the, the intent of the story is. So there's, there's layers of law within the story, all our stories, as you know, um, layers of uh, social law in our stories, um, environmental law in our stories, things like that. So it's, um, it's, it's how that's broadcast, I guess, to the audience. Yeah. So if it's, if it's just on the surface, then yeah, it's, you know, I don't see that there's a problem with that. It's how it's been done for, you know, thousands of years um, throughout this, you know, social group that carried its history through, you know, the tradition of, you know, the practice of old communication of, of history. So through story and song. Um, that's just another, I guess, another way, you know, that in which we can carry on that tradition of transferring knowledge and story through song. So it's, um, yeah, just a respect thing. If you're respectful of the, you know, and then the integrity of the song is, is complete, and, or the story, sorry, is uh, complete, and I'd, it should be okay. Um, you're not uh, singing that old creation story the way it was done, you know, pre-contact before you know, they tried to dismantle everything out there. Um, you're not recreating that, but it's 
a story that uh, had you grown up out there, you would have learned, you would have been told that story. You would have um, been uh, taken to those places. Um, so they're not places that would have been off limits to you. Um, so uh, with that, it's they, these these big stories like that are common knowledge that's shared as to little kids to uh, start recognising, beginning to recognise country, um, mapping their country out. Um, where they, so it's not something that you, had you been living out there, grew up out there, it's not something that would have been um, secret to you, would have been shared. Mm. And how you interpret that through art, through visual art or, or music, story, um, it's the important thing, James, as you know, is, is that that uh, the integrity of the the uh, values in that, the characters in it, and the uh, the um, just what they what they designed to hold on to, and that's that social law, environmental laws, and and uh, mm. yeah. And what do you feel is worth? bringing across in songs in regards to the language or the knowledge of the area or is there is this something that you reckon is is important to be able to you know, document through music or to be able to continue and, and share what were any priorities that you feel? Um, I, that's, a, that's a tough one because um, it's not something I've given a lot of thought to mm. because I'm not a musician. You see, mm. <laughs> that's not my um, not my area. But well, I guess when you uh, showing people country and showing people language, is there anything that you bring across or that you you know, make a point to to share in uh, early on? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the connection, the depth of, of the connection, um, and also um, with my dad and others, you know, that he's learned from, uh, and, and how I learned, and how I noticed other, how, how our people are, um, quite jovial people when they've been, you know, describing a character. Um, and there's a lot of characters in, in our creation stories lots of different characters and, and how they're described as, uh, and those parts of the, the personality, that, that whimsical part of the personality or the funny side of it or, or even the, the, the um, harsh side of things, like the, the Cuddy Spring story, Old Mullion and um, uh, how he was and um, Old Wine, Old Crow, there was a character there that he was a Oh, wandering. There's, there's different characters now they're described as being. What sort of personality they had. Um, is, I guess it's part of the role of the storyteller, the holders of story, to continue. You know, so that's not lost within the story. That that um, that it doesn't come monotone. You know what I mean? Like a, it, it has flair. It has life um, in, within the story. When the, the storytellers sharing it and uh, when they talk about a specific character that um, and his role in the in the story or the you know um, event that they don't um, uh, what do you call it 
that they properly convey, you know, the, 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 the little quirks and whatever in his character that made him a very important part of that story. Um, so there, there are those stories and those elements that are that are important. So uh, I think you know, it's a, it's it's you learn the story, you learn the the, the essence of it, you learn the um, the value in it, um, the, the the few layers that you might be able to be exposed to. Then um, you, yeah, you work with that, but understanding that uh, there's a it's it's. These are stories that are told to kids, so you're not sitting there really strict with a stick and making them sit there and legs crossed and eyes front. Mm. You know, it's it's done and it's a repetitive thing. Um, it's done over and over. That um, some parts of the story may not, uh, uh, an entire story may not need to be told, but uh, something happens um, while you're going fishing or something, um, and somebody does something, then everyone's reminded of the repercussions because of this old character from this story. Remember what happened to old Gugo or old dinner one, you know? Mm. When yeah, they, yeah, right, yeah. So that, they don't need to be retold the old story all the time, it's just drawing on a lesson yeah. for that character. And then they'll be all, oh yeah, yeah, see old, old Juan didn't listen or old mm. Gugo was stubborn and wouldn't move and all that. So just those, that, and we, we often did that and we still do it as people, don't we? We pull an incident from a family event mm. to recount something funny or something serious, you know what I mean? Yeah. To remind people without stopping everything and going through the whole yarn. Yeah. We do that as people, as family. So um, I guess just to to think about it more, you know, to take time to think about it and find examples of, of how how that works. Um, it wouldn't be hard to do, but just, just to actually sit down as an exercise to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. How close are the stories and language from neighbouring tribes? Because I guess, say for example, you've got the Milleroy and your other Roy language, would you quite similar and the language course being, you know, this like combination of the two and I guess the dictionary and there's seems to be a combination and uh, and then you have the neighbouring tribes like the, the whale and, and um, Wiradjuri to the south. Do, do you have any idea of those languages and you know, how similar or how different they might be? The, um, the Wiradjuri um, whale one, Mimba, Ueli or Ueli, Kamalai, are very similar in sound and and um, the structure. So they're very similar sounding languages. Whereas the Murawari Murawari mob just to the west of Ueli and Wawana, they're more and the Wankamara, they're more like the um, South Australian languages. Yeah, right. Yeah, and Barkindji say different. Sounds different, doesn't? There's nothing familiar about Barkindji or or um, Murawari or um, Monkamara to our mob. Yeah, we have more similarity with um, uh, Dungari. Yeah, really. And we have with our westerly neighbour. Okay. Yeah, within in language. Yeah. 
um, shared there's shared words it's like mullion is a is a is a shared word for all our mobs out of the way Wiradjuri, Kamaroi, Wail and Gamba, um, Gilroy, which are legal so there's um, there's, there's other examples of shared words and there's, there's the, the ones that are more familiar to to people from contemporary um, times um, around new words uh, for sheep and horses and things like that, police and all that. Mm. So that's, they seem to be very common right across the, the state sort of thing. Yeah. But um, the shared stories, uh, creation for our Uluru mob to this mob here, they they say that their dreaming comes from the west, from Wildwood way. Yeah. And our dreaming out at Wildwood and Angles say that our dreaming comes from the north creation. Yeah, okay. So it comes from, you know, Gilroy north um, of Angleroy, comes down, comes to Kambora, and then from Kambora goes to Wildwood, and then goes from Wildwood this way, east from Wildwood. All right. How exactly is the, the dreaming Travelling, like in well, yeah. well our, our our stuff out west, Walgett and Gilroy, uh, we say we come from the north. Yeah, like come from the north in regards to the creator, creation. Okay, yeah, yeah. our Borugu, our dreaming, yeah, um, of man. Yeah, um, the creator, Alphala. He came from the north. Um, they say he lived in the north, but he, you know, he come down south. He loved. He loved that area around Walgut, Brewarana. Yeah. Um, that stretch of the Barn River, he loved that. Yeah. Um, they say, and uh, then he created man and woman out of Kambora and took them to Walgut. Yeah. And then he went from there, they say he came this way, from Walgut to yeah. the east. And the mob in the east here, they say, I've talked to people years and years ago, they said that their dreaming come from the west, from Walgut Bay, but not beyond. Okay. Hmm. And so there must be specific sites which yeah, are quite sacred like, as to where the dreaming come from? Yeah, there are sites along, right along the river. Um, then you've got uh, the big big place at a collar under right there, um, Collymungal, the big, the big ceremonial um, place there. Um, I think it's recorded as one of the last big um, corroborees initiation um, in New South Wales. There were hundreds of carved trees there that were removed, stolen. Um, it's a very sacred place there, and and right along there, the, um, you know. And I, I don't know those parts of the country um, beyond Collarinbri and north of Collarinbri, so they were there definitely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, before I let you go, what would you recommend in regards to anyone who's wanting to either learn their languages or do work to reclaim their languages as to, yeah, how to go about it and then what to do with it when they get it? Yeah, um, look, the language now is, is freely available. I mean, you can get apps through your phone, as you know, uh, you can buy dictionaries. You can get the recordings. You can get the, um, you know, uh, and then learn from there. You can go and do courses, I believe, at TAFE and and with John. Um, 
I know he does courses at ANU and he does a thing in Sydney. Um, but I think for for us as ULRI, ULRI community people, I think we certainly now, you know, identity. Um, and that's why we're doing it, because of who we are. Um, I mean, that's, that should be strongly encouraged um, to, you know, to, uh, what, do, what do you call it? Um, consolidate, or well, not to control, what is it? You know, that your identity is grounded through your language, through your heritage, um, and then what parts of culture? Because um, we all still follow parts of culture, whether we know it or not. Mm. Social values and things like that. That are just, they're not 230 years old, brother, you know? Our respect and all of that sort of stuff for family and for people. It's older than that. Um, you could argue that um, um, the people that come here showed very little respect, you know, for, for other people. Whereas we, you know, that's ancient to us. So we, we, uh, we, we talk about culture, cultural identity, and then connection to country. So ours that connect you, your language, use of language, your cultural expression, your day to day life, your work, and where in country does your heritage come from, you know? You connect strongly to that northern part of the Ului Ului Nation through your grandmother, um, and for your grandfather at other parts of the country. So having the ability to express that connection, that intimate knowledge of those parts of the country that that are held dear to, to your family, to get a sense of why to the, the place was important, and then be able to then transfer that um, into your your work. I think that's, that's what more could you ask for? I mean, you don't sit in judgment on other people's work. I think you just sit in judgment of your own work. I think that's the important part. Are you doing what you feel is right? But if you're doing something that's wrong, people will call you out. Sometimes I call you up for just doing anything. <laughs> um, because of, you know, the ability now to, everybody's got a town notice board on their phone, eh? Nobody goes down to the, you know, town square anymore to, to um, air their grievances. They all do it in the privacy of home on their phones, devices. Mm. So, look, if you're strong in your identity and you're, you, you, you have good knowledge of your heritage, sound knowledge of your heritage, um, the language is there to, to reinforce that identity, isn't it? Like I said earlier, you can put 50 photos of blackfellas of all complexions on the wall until they open their mouth, they're all blackfellas. They don't have an individual identity until they speak. And if they can speak their language or you know, be identified through their language, then we know exactly where they're from. Mm. You know, we don't, might not necessarily know the place intimately, but we can say, well, you're from that part of the country. Or you're, we're from the same place. So, uh, yeah, just use the language to reinforce your identity and your connection. Um, and find those stories and um, 
they they're not you know they're not so complex that you're not able to to interpret what's going on there um, and then if you can find a way or means to, to get to those places that are really important in those stories to make that that um, you know physical connection um, and don't be afraid to to um, to do that don't be afraid that you're going to step on toes. You're doing things in a respectful way. Um, it's, you know, um, you have a right to it. That's your heritage. That's no one can take that away from you. And yeah, just don't be afraid to to go there to to own it. You know, that's as I said, that's your language. That's part of who you are. Um, what you do with that, and James, it's it's up to the individual then. And we all express it in different ways. Um, and we have knowledge of how old people were, the type of people they were in our families. We know the types of grandmothers that they were and their grandfathers and uncles and parents. We have that in our heritage. And those cultural values are run very strong, passed down, say. Um, so with that, I'd just say, um, with respect, that's there for you to, and for any Gamilaroi, Ualaroi, Ualiai person to to get what they they need to get from that, you know, to to reinforce their concepts of who they are, their identity as Ualaroi, Ualiai, Gamilaroi. Use that and do that. Then you go to country, and then that story that you read or that you heard. Ah, this is a place. This is where my grandmother played as a girl, went to this school, or this is where my grandfather was a young stockman with my old grandfathers and great grandfathers and uncles. This is where all of that took place. This is where the Gutter was. This is a place where that story started when they talk about Narrow Lake. You know, those sorts of things. It's, you get to that point, then oh, you need to go and explore that and, and make the physical connection yourself and to make it important to you. Um, yeah.